We've been dealing with this idea of the um, grape and the, the vine and the, and, the, and the branches and this idea of a vineyard, so to speak. And so we've been going through the last few weeks, and last week was the Urshan Pulpit series that was here. I hope you got to be here for that. If you didn't, go back on our Facebook, and I'm sure there are archived some fabulous preaching and some great things happen. We thank God for that and the privilege to be able to host that. But let's continue on with this Bible study that we've been doing for uh, this month. And this is, we're talking about this idea of, of the growers and the, and, the, and the fruit and the vine and that uh, to honor God, we want to bear much fruit. And so looking at these things about these, John 15, about wh- what it means to be him picking us up and him, the, the discipline and what that kind of feels like and what that kind of looks like and why our Heavenly Father would do that to get us back up to producing more fruit. Last time we were together uh, with this Bible study, we looked at kind of this idea of pruning. And so we're going to continue on a little bit there, this idea of pruning um, they tell me that growers of the, of the grapevines, that they prune their vineyards, vineyards more intensively as the vines age. So if you think in this walk with the Lord that you've ever achieved, and it's, I, I've, I'm skating into heaven from here on out, you're probably sadly mistaken. Because the older we get, and not necessarily with age, but just the mature, more mature we get in Christ, the more he wants to make us in his image, the more he wants to take away from us, and we've got to decrease more, and he has to increase this whole idea of this pruning. The vine's ability to produce uh, more growth and, and more fruit increases every single year as, as, that, as the branch gets bigger and, and flourishes, but... Again, the vine dresser has to come by and he has to chop some of that off. If not, it's almost going to choke itself out. Because this isn't about just seeing how big the branches can be. This is not how big and everybody standing in the distance oohing and on over how many leaves you have. And oh, oh, look at this. This looks beautiful. You're not growing to be a beautiful plant. You're growing to produce fruit. And so in doing that, many times it has to be backed down to be able to produce more and mature fruit. And these mature branches have to be pruned very, very hard to achieve maximum yields in what what, what we want to do in our lives and what we want to happen. So while early pruning is mostly about your outward activities, sometimes we think of this like this, of, of people just growing in the church. The, the first things you kind of teach people is, well, you need, to, you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to pray. You need to read your Bible. You need to be faithful in giving, faithful in a church attendance, and you need to be kind, and you need to bear the fruit of the Spirit and things of that nature. And that's all, nothing wrong with any of that, that, those things. But Folks, hopefully there comes a time in our walk with God we don't have to be reminded of that every single day. Don't forget, you need to pray. At some point, we've got to get on the meat of the word and understand that stuff is just, that stuff's settled. That stuff's just established, and so now I can grow. But when this next level, or we could say, of this pruning takes place, it's more about my values, and it's more about my personal identity. It's, about, it's more about things that I hold near and dear to my heart. And so many Christians never get this far. 
Doesn't mean they're not going to heaven. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying a lot of people don't get this far. Think of this when Jesus told his friends. Remember all his teachings? And he was healing the sick and he was feeding the multitude. And everybody's like, oh, there's the guy. Let's chase him down. Let's row in the boats across the water to get to him. And let's do all this. Let's chase him around the river, around the edge of the lake to get to him. And they were just, everywhere he went, he'd have to get away sometimes just to get away from the crowd. And then he started teaching some what they thought hard stuff. And what did they do? They forsook him and left. I can't do this anymore. It's not what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was just going to be Sunday night and the choir romping and stomping, and we're just going to we're just going to run the aisles all the time and be refreshed and have the uh, have goosebumps and just it's all wonderful. And then Monday hits and Tuesday hits and Wednesday, and but you're still supposed to be living for the Lord and all of that, and it's not quite as easy to do when you don't have all the saints around you, but still, that's where this level of maturity comes in, and that's where Jesus wants us to be, where we're not turning our back every time. He, you know, we're not blown about with every wind of doctrine. We're not turned about our back when we, don't, when we hear something we don't like. But the impact of those people who said, come what may, I'm still following you, that impact affects the world today. Have you ever thought of that? Those disciples who said, that's all right, Jesus, we don't understand everything, but who else has the words of eternal life? Where else are we supposed to go? We're going to follow you. Their fruit affects you today. That's some significant fruit. That's some eternal fruit. That's the type of fruit that I want to bear, and I want to have that in my life, but it does, just doesn't happen by sitting, clapping on two and four, and showing up for Sundays every once in a while. It is a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. So think of mature pruning in the term of the Bible phrase, the testing or the trying of your faith. By the time the by the time the the, the they wrote these epistles. The, the disciples had learned to see every trial and everything that they went through as a chance to perfect their trust in the Lord and to multiply their effectiveness. They didn't view things as, you know, oh, this is horrible. This is the worst thing that's ever, the devil's working overtime. They did not view things as that. Even though the devil may have been chasing them down, even though they may have been persecuted, even though that things wouldn't have gone their way, even though life happened to them, they did not view it as, oh, what did I do wrong? Oh, the Lord doesn't love me. They didn't view any of it that way. By the time they got to this maturity level, they said, what can I learn from this? How much deeper can I go in God through this trial? James 1, starting with verse 3, knowing this, that that trying of your faith, what's it do? It worketh patience. And then James says, but go ahead and let patience have her perfect work because that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You can grow to a mature level in him by going through the pressures and going through these things and not getting a bitter attitude, not getting all upset about it, but letting God work and build patience in you and letting that bloom into something and blossom and flourish into fruit. God isn't trying to just take away from us for the sake of taking 
taken away. He's faithfully at work in our lives to make room to add strength and to add productivity and to add spiritual power in your life. He's not just coming through with a weed whacker because it looks out of unkempt and he wants everything just level across the board. That's not how he does it. He comes into our life and snips here, meticulously snips there and snips over here because he knows if I can get the proper sunlight and the proper air and the proper nourishment and the proper water, I can have greater fruit. And that is what he is looking for. So these tests of faith have nothing to do with the status of your salvation. Think of this. Tests of faith are these various trials and hardships that they pull us into something and that invites us, invites us to surrender something to God that we really want, that we have a right to hold on to. Psalmist worded it like this, and yes, this is going to be a little bit of a tough lesson tonight for all of us, but the psalmist described this refining experience in Psalm 6610 starts out, for thou, O God, hast proved us, thou hast tried us as silver is tried, skipping down to verse 12, thou hast caused men to ride over our heads, we went through fire and through water, but when all of that happened, you brought us out into wealthy places. I went through it for a purpose and I held on to the end and something transpired in me that was what God wanted to do. So this test of faith, this trying of faith doesn't really test anything unless it pushes you past the last test. Do you know when I went to college, I never, those lousy rascally teachers, they never gave me an arithmetic test that just said, what are the additions? What are the times tables? What's two plus two? They never gave me those tests. Why? Because hopefully I would have aced it. And hopefully I learned that in about second grade. I had passed that test. I don't need the same test when I'm over here. When I'm more mature, when I have more knowledge, I don't need the same test. So when we're looking at this, if a test does not push you past the place you are, then is it really a test? So that's why sometimes we get into this and it pushes us and we feel like we're pressed to the limit. I can't do this. I cannot handle this. I can't go anymore. But about this time, we've got to remember some points about this when we are being tested and tried. Let's look at a couple points about that. God doesn't apply pain when a more pleasant method would do just as well. He's not a mean God. I could have just told Skyler, Skyler, you need to stop that. But instead, I spanked him. How stupid is that? How dumb would that be when something so much easier and gentle would have worked? And again, let me quote one of my scriptures. And if ye be an evil, know how to do good things. How much more does your heavenly father? So if there's an easier way for him to get his point across, if there's an easier way for him to prune some things out of my life, I promise you that's the gentle way and that's the way he's going to take. But sometimes pruning is the only way to get some things out of my life. And pruning is always 
the best answer in certain situations to our deepest desires. Let's, let's, another thing we can think about when, when we're pressed to the limit and this trying of our faith is that the idea is that not every painful experience is the result of pruning. So we can't, you know, anytime we go through something, it's just like, well, the Lord, oh, Lord, we are being pruned. It's just, boy, we are being pruned today. They've shut the electricity off. We're just being pruned. No, you didn't pay your bill. Don't blame God. You're not being pruned because of that. However, let me add something to this. But every trial and every opposition you face is an opportunity to let God work in your life for greater things. What can I learn in this? What can I, what, how, how can God help me through this situation where I can learn more of him? Doesn't this say in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things, this is one of those scriptures that everybody says, oh, we know all things. Oh, we're together, we're good. We're so excited. Folks, this is a tough verse. And we know all things work together for good to them that love God. There's been a whole bunch of stuff that I know it's happened that's just like, how in the world could that ever, anything ever good come from that? But the scripture says all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Somehow he can redeem everything. Somehow he can use everything. This many times is dependent on how I'm doing this and what I'm looking at and how I want God to use it in my life. Again, I, I said it already, but you know, it, it, trials and situations and life happens. I can become so bitter and just so fixated on that, or I can say, God, you're going to have to handle this. You're going to have to help me through this thing. Another thing we can talk about when, when the pain and, 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 the, and the struggle and the pressure is on us and we're trying of our face is, is that pain of pruning comes now, but thank God fruit will come from that. It is not just unnecessarily being done to us. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about it doesn't, something like this, a trial doesn't seem joyous at the moment, but if you hang on, it is going to produce multiple things. It's going to produce good things. I think another, another scripture says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So hanging on to these situations because the pain of the pruning, no, I don't like that at all. But when I'm pressured and I'm tried and I'm pushed, if I can just remember something about that, that joy is going to come and that great fruit is going to come from this, it gives me the strength and the courage to hang on, hold on to the vine. One last thing we can learn about this when we're pressured and pushed is even though the, the dur duration and the depth and the breadth of pruning seasons are going to vary. I don't know how long it's going to last. No season lasts indefinitely. God will make a way. God is going to get you through this. Everywhere you look, you will see amazing 
evidence of personal transformation and expanded ministry that God has done in your life when we have allowed him to, when we have allowed him to keep us in that process. I remember my wife and I one time, several years ago, at a, at a dining room table with another couple that spoke into our lives many, many times, and we were talking about some situations, and I was just going through the ringer and just, uh, just telling all this stuff, and they were trying to help back and forth, and all of a sudden, spirit of prophecy hit her, and she started prophesying over my life that God is going to turn situations around, and God is going to do this, and, and it was all exciting, but I remember just I just bust into tears, and I said, when is it going to happen? When do I get to grow up? When do I get to get past all this? And I remember she's sobbing as much as I am. She said, I don't know. So this pruning that takes place, the duration of it, I don't know when it's going to end for you. I don't know how severe it's going to be for you or, or how it's going to transpire. But one thing I do know, we have a wonderful vine dresser who cares very much about you and it is going to produce something beautiful in your life if you endure. So I have to keep these things in the forefront of my mind when I'm being pressured on every side and God is taking things away from me and I'm trying to figure out what he wants in my life. And we'll get to it maybe tonight or maybe next week. But really the bottom line, and I'll jump ahead, is really he just wants you to keep abiding. He just wants you to keep holding on is what he wants to do because that is where we're going to produce the fruit. Consider all the trials that Apostle Paul went through through so many things. Well, I shipwrecked three times. I stoned this many times. I left for dead this many times. Out in the deep. He just keeps going on and on. We read stories about him. And even the great apostle Paul, praying for the sick and raising the dead and all these wonderful miracle signs and wonders, all these great things, followed his ministry. And then he just said, Lord, take this thorn. The Lord said, no. So he endured that. All these things that he just kept enduring but he kept going through. But again, let me reiterate, if I, 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 I don't, you know, again, you can't rewrite history or anything like that, but I have a feeling we wouldn't near have the Bible we have. The fruit that he bore because of that, the cutting away of things of too much of Paul and not enough of Jesus, and he got that out of him and what fabulous things he wrote that are still bearing fruit today. So I have a very important question for this great congregation that's gathered here online and in person tonight. If a supernatural harvest is what you really want, then the question is, how can you tell exactly where God is pruning you? How do you know exactly what God is doing and because if that's really what you want, and we want to bear fruit, we want to be great Christians, if that's really what I want, I desperately need God to prune me. That's the way this works. That's what has to happen. But I need to work in conjunction with that, not against that. So how am I going to recognize this? What am I going to do? Let's make it very, very simple as I am. So let's make this very simple. When your child is outside all by themselves or somebody, and then they, you're in the house, and they come running in the house, they're coming in there screaming hysterically, hysterically. You don't know if they got scared. You don't know 
if they have a rib broken. You don't know. You don't know if a limb is sticking out through this. You don't know anything. They're just hysterical. And many times you will say things like, where does it hurt? Because so you could at least check it out. If you need to pull up a pant leg or take their shirt off or something so you can check out what's going on with this kid. ask you if you're confused about pruning I guess I can ask you that question where does it hurt and that's where you need to pay attention to powerful story found in 1 Samuel love the story of Abigail Nabal and, and David and it tells this memorable story of how God used the pain in David's life to prepare him for his remarkable future. Okay, let's, let's think about this. Let's step this through this for, for a moment. David already been anointed king, brought in the house, sort of brought in the house, after trying to remind Jesse, I think you have another kid. Oh, yeah, I do. I don't know, you know, again, I study families. I don't know this family dynamic. It's just odd to me. So is there anybody else? Yeah, we have this one guy out there. So kind of maybe, I don't know, I don't want to read too much in it, but maybe looked over a little bit. So he's already been king. He's already been anointed king, knows his future. And then when that's done, he sends him back out, and he's working in the field again. He's not a king. He's, not, he's out there with the sheep doing what he had always done. And then after a period of time, he, he came in, and, and the Lord, or I'm sorry, King Saul wanted him to come in because they grievous spirit come on Saul and he'd play for him. He was in Saul's house and Saul was there and then a couple of times Saul tried to kill him himself and then Saul went chasing him and I just remember and I, I should have looked it up and I apologize some of you would know where this fell in the in the thing but I know Saul had already met David at some point and then when something else happened in his life Saul asked who's that guy and his and his general said well that's that's David the son of Jesse. He Saul was asking who David was and he he had to have known David because David, he they'd met before. But anyway, I digress. The point is, he just, it seemed like just constantly overlooked. And then we have him, I'm supposed to be anointed king. And where do you find him? Him running through the wilderness and jumping into caves and Saul chasing him and Saul sending people after him constantly. Just after his life, just, a, he, he's a wild animal overlooked all the time and now just hunted like a wild animal just to throw away he he's worth nothing was the almost the way it it appeared in all of this but in 1 Samuel 25 this former giant killer and national hero that was hiding in caves he he had guarded somewhat Nabal's sheep shears and was kind to them and so David asked one of his guys, he said, go to Nabal. And he said, would you ask him if he would give us some food for all of us to eat? He wasn't asking this guy for something. This guy was rich, okay? It wasn't like he was taking food off his table. This guy was rich very well. He said, just ask him for some food. What does Nabal say? Nabal says, who is this David? And refuses that request. I believe in this, something triggered way down on the inside of David. Who is David? I'm not the shepherd that was overlooked. 
I'm not the guy my dad forgot. I'm not the guy the king forgot my name. I'm not the wild animal. I'll show you who David is. He come marching in there and his humiliation and rejection, rejection, that sore spot in David's spirit, his pride, his confidence, his sense of fairness, his identity. It just enraged David. And so he sets out with his men and they're going to slaughter this house of Nabal. Abigail, his Nabal's wife, heard about this and rushes to intercept David. And her most important gift to David is an impassioned reminder that David, you need to remember what God says about you. You need to remember that God has ordained you and set you up. You need to remember that your future is safe in God. And Abigail pleads with David to see beyond his pain and choose instead to pass this test of faith. You understand there are times when something is inside of you. It may be your bad attitude. It may be your anger issue. It may be your self-righteousness. It may be your pride. It, may be, it could be a number of things. God is going to prune that, and he's going to run you through things and press you until you pass the test. Unless you say that's too hard and turn back and walk away. This is why I'm telling you in before in these things about the, these are not easy lessons because even we, we, see, we, we, we sing songs and we say things, Lord, use me. Oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work I can do. Oh, here I am, Lord, here I am. All the old time songs that I grew up on and I just a little boy singing those things. But do we truly know what those mean? Because when I'm saying, here I am, Lord, if you can use anything, use me and I surrender all when I'm saying that thing, I'm asking God, take everything that's not like you out of my life. And the only way he can do it is by pruning it out. That's not fun. That's not exciting. But you have to understand because, yes, it, it would be better. Let's, let's have, we, we just have big group therapy and have feel-good messages and everybody just go home. And I, I promise you I'm trained enough that I could have everybody just, oh, I'm a winner, I can do this, and you'd leave happy. And that's, There's times for that. But you could find a lot of churches that's going to do that for you. But hopefully this, word is, this church is based on the word with, speaking truth in love, but still telling you there are things in your heart that Jesus may need out, and it's not easy. But it will yield great fruit, an abundant fruit. As David passes that test and passes those other tests, you can watch the life of David as the Lord took him through all of these things and he passed test after test and the Lord blessed his life. So this pruning season that happens to us, again, asking the question, where does it hurt in your life today? What is he doing in my life today? Because ultimately his command is to seek first the kingdom of God. 
Because God will always prune those things that we slavishly seek first. Things that we love most. Things that we begrudge giving up. If we've committed that, God, I want to bear more fruit, that's what he's going to come after. Because you got to pass that test. He's got to help you through that situation. Again, his goal is not to plunder. His goal is not to harm, but to liberate us from the things of this world that we think are so important to us so that we can truly pursue his kingdom. This, this kind of pruning goes beyond rearranging priorities of our heart. We talked about those earlier. Hopefully those pruning, we kind of got those things settled as mature Christians that, yes, I need to pray. Yes, I need to fast. Yes, I need to read the word. Yes, I need a fellowship. Yes, I need to come to church. Yes, I need to give to his kingdom. Hopefully those things are just old hat to us and just kind of settled. But this comes down to a more important thing that priorities of, of what defines me, of what I hold dear to my heart that I think so important to me. It's the people we love, the possessions we cling to, our deep sense of personal rights. Those are the things that sometimes he asks for and I have to give up to him. Can we go through a couple of these things? God may be asking for your right to hold on to some people in your life or to achieve some type of particular kind of success. I, I, we, have to, we have to temper this. I do understand that. And God has called. God calls everybody to do something for him. And I, I understand that. But God may be inviting you to, to follow without even the support of your family. When you're family guy, you're trying to split families up here. I'm never trying to split families up here, but I am trying you to get you to focus on the kingdom. Maybe mom and dad don't like that I pastor this church. They do, but maybe they don't. But even if they didn't, if this is what I'm called to do, it supersedes what my family thinks and says. There's a book my wife teaches out of sometime called, I believe it's called by uh, Florence Littauer, Silver Boxes. And it's, it, let me digress a minute and come right back, but just give you an example. There was this lady, she was in a nursing home and, and uh, she had lost most of her senses and, and, and suffering from dementia and different things, but she would, she would feebly get up and they'd take her to the lounge sometimes. She'd feebly get up next to the piano and she'd stand there and she would, she would sing in her feeble little voice. One of the nurses, they, they'd clap for her and, and she'd take her little bow. Because in her mind, she was in front of a great group of people singing opera. Because that's always what she wanted to do. That was in her heart. That's what she wanted to do. But her family said, no, that's, that's, there's no money in that. There's nothing. We're not going to allow you to do that. And so she, she went another route that her family wanted to, but in her heart was still, she wanted to be an opera singer. And I, I, I understand. I, I digress here. I'm not talking about spiritual things. But you get the point and you get the picture. And you've seen it more in a spiritual term. I have watched people run from God. And their life has been a disaster. 
because something is always down in there that they constantly have to push down and they constantly have to, have to just push it down. I, I know you people, many of you older than I am, and I, I respect you highly. But if I can say this with all due respect to everybody, please don't ever stop your children or grandchildren from following God. If they're called, and again, I'm not saying called to a pulpit ministry. If they're called, God will help. Well, they got to support themselves. I get that. But how much do we balance that with letting them lead the call of God? I don't know. It's a different America, but I, I you know, I grew up in this, and I, I hear all the old stories where. <laughs> They just load up the car and they just take off driving. There's churches all over the United States because someone just took his family, got in the car, and took off driving and started preaching and planting churches. Well, how do they support themselves? They have a big bank account, they have big retirement. Probably not. but maybe you're saved because they did that. Maybe you got saved in one of their churches. That's some pretty good fruit, I think. What are we willing to give up? What are we willing to lay down? What are we willing for him to prune back so that we can bear much fruit and glorify God with it. Second thing we sometimes God asks us is, is our right to know why God does what he does. This one's a tough one for me because we're born with this conviction to have some control and some sense over who we are and, and control of our lives. And I get that on the natural level, but this is kind of in conflict with our, with our faith walk and, the, and, the, and, and believing and trusting in God because we go through long seasons in our faith and walk when we are unable to answer questions like, why is this happening and how long is this going to happen and cannot God hear my cry? Does not God see me in this situation? All the while, he's there right next to you, and we need to ask the question, not why or how long, but we need to answer the question, really, and that is the who, who we belong to, and we are belong to our loving Heavenly Father, and he has proven worthy of our trust. He asks us to let go of reasons and rights and fears and he's going to handle it. But sometimes we balance that out with, we, we, well, we got a plan. we got to provide. we got to do this. And I, please, I understand I agree with all of that stuff. But how much of that do we use as an excuse not to truly do what God wants us to do? Proverbs talks about planning for the future. Yes, it's talking about planning for, but on some occasions, on some things, it's just like, how much do we need to plan? How much can we relinquish to God? How much can we turn over to God and say, God, I don't know how you're going to do this. I don't know what you're doing in my life, but it's okay because you've done pretty good in the past and I'm just going to keep trusting you. So giving up my right to know why God is doing that and just trusting the process. 
Another one that we sometimes God asks us to give up is our, our sense of, uh, or our, our, our love for money and our possessions. And I understand living in such a country, we're so blessed and sometimes shedding the power that possessions and material comforts hold over us, is, it's a lifelong process. It's one of the most difficult, I think, sometimes because when we, when we do, sometimes we get this idea of this servitude to money and, and possessions, and it demands so much of our energies and time and loyalties, and we, we constantly work and do this, and we, 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 we want to achieve more, and we want to provide, and you understand the Bible talks about all of that stuff, but to what extent... I remember hearing a story, this husband and wife, they had all these children, they're like, oh my word, we are so busy, we don't have time for our kids, we put them in daycare, and we just, we, we don't have time when they get home, we're still working, still working, we just, we can't hardly make ends meet, it's just expensive to live. Yeah. But then come to find out they live in like a 3,000 square foot home with three car garage and two boats and five vehicles or whatever, and you understand, well, yeah, that is expensive to live. What's the trade-off? I don't want to go down this road too hard because this gets hard on all of us. But I guess the, 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 the whole bottom line of this is what's my attitude towards it? Do I believe there are rich businessmen and women in the will of God? You better believe it because they can give and support the kingdom. That is what they're called to do. And their attitude is one of generosity, and they give, and God blesses, and they give, and they can handle it. But if my attitude is, I have to have better stuff than you, I have to have better stuff than my neighbors, and I have to keep clinging more and more and more, and I have to keep working harder and harder and harder, and I kind of let my prayer life go to the side, and I kind of let my Bible reading go to the side because I'm just constantly fixated on what I can get next and where I can go next and what vacation pictures I can post next. Nothing wrong with any of that, but you understand we're trading things off that are not eternal. What is God trying to prune away from us? 2 Corinthians 8.1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, 2 Corinthians 8.2, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. This is talking about when Jerusalem was in famine and the church of Macedonia was so poverty-stricken, possibly because of persecution or something, they took up a massive collection and told Paul, we are so excited, we want to give this to the saints in Jerusalem, helping one another and, and providing for one another. And it was beyond their means, beyond what anyone ever expected for them to do. But notice the word in there that says, uh, affliction, the abundance of their joy in doing this. It's something that came from their heart. They were willing to do that. Five minutes, last one. Last thing that God may asks us to maybe prune away is the source of your significance. What is the prize at stake here? Many times it's our God-given need for a sense of worth and purpose and and I'm trying, I'm reading all the, again, 
files are flowing through my mind because I understand, you know, in counseling and stuff, I tell you, you got to have a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose. You got to know who you are. All of those things, those are important. But again, sometimes that sense of purpose is what? Ask you a hard question Is God enough? Knowing that you're his child and you have been blood-bought, and is that enough? <laughs> I should have quit four minutes ago, but here it goes. I don't know my philosophy. They started back years and years ago when I was even in junior camp. I remember there used to be five boys and five girls that got camp of the year. They changed this when I was in junior camp. You had to be the devil incarnate to not get camper of the year. Everybody got camper of the year. And I'm old, so you know how many years ago they changed this? Because they wouldn't hurt anybody's feelings or anything like that. I guess I sort of get that. But it has grown to where we just have this mush of people, and really nobody's special because everybody's special. And so everybody's trying to, and I'm trying to get my philosophy here, but they're trying to make something of themselves or whatever. And so now we have young people saying, can I get a tattoo? Because I just want to express myself. And just, I just want it to be me. I have better ways. Go on a missions trip. Invent something that helps people. Witness to somebody. Teach a Bible study. Pray somebody through the Holy Ghost. But sometimes that all takes work. It's easier to have somebody stick you in the arm, I guess, and so I can be a somebody. I can stand out from the crowd. And you think I'm joking around with you. That's truly happening. The idea is, what's our sense of worth? What is it based in? Is your sense of worth based in what your bank account says or what car you drive or what house you live in or how you can sing or, or who you're married to or what your, you know, again, what's your sense of worth? What, what, what's your sense of self? What is it? For Abraham, do you know what God said? Take your son, your only son, and go sacrifice him. He told Gideon, Already scared to death. Nope. Army's way too big. Cut it down. Still too big. Cut it down. Lord, that's my security. We're already going to get beat up. And now I have just a few hundred? But when we find out God is enough and we rest in that, however I'm supposed to can word this, we will truly find out that God is enough. He'll fill that in. I can have confidence because who I am in him and what he has done in my life and what he is doing and where he's taking me in my destiny and what he's doing for me. That's where the confidence needs to come from. I can be rest assured and secure in him when I relinquish all this stuff to him, knowing that while he's pruning things away, he's working something so deep inside of me.
to produce such beautiful fruit for his kingdom. Let's all stand. Praise God. If that's not your prayer to be used by God, then don't ask him to use you. If that's not your prayer for him, to, Lord, I want to be more like you. Don't ask him to make, him more, make you more like him. Because some of that takes the pruning process, takes the cutting away of some things. But I hope I have a group of people and numbers of people with me tonight that says, Lord, I may not understand in my flesh, but I want you to use me. Whatever has to be cut away because I know he's going to produce eternal fruit. Can you pray that and thank him? Lord, we praise you for your goodness. Lord, that you are a kind heavenly father, that you do all things well, that we, we can trust in that, even though some things were hard teachings in your word, but still I can trust and rest assured that it's only going to be as hard or as long as necessary because you're going to help me, Jesus. And I pray, oh God, help me to submit myself, my life, my future, my abilities, everything I have. Let me submit them fully and wholeheartedly to you and give them to you, Jesus, where you prune what you want to, you leave what you want. But I know it may be grievous for the moment, but it is going to be joyous, Lord, at harvest because there's going to be a multiple harvest that brings glory to you. Thank you, Lord, for your word that teaches us and helps us. I pray that you would help us to hide your word in our heart. Bless this great group of people. Let us go and walk in the spirit, be in salt and light to this dark word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.